<laughs> what? <laughs> what? What's the matter? <laughs> is that is that a cardboard cutout of Jankowski? Indeed. <laughs> You've never seen a card. Never seen like a, I don't know, five X cardboard cutout of Matt Jankowski. <laughs> Why is there a giant cardboard cutout of Jankowski? <laughs> I don't know. It was a thing for his anniversary, like last year or something. It's just it floats around the office, and people do funny things with it now and then. Huh. And I don't think it's been in the studio yet, so now it has. Well, cool. Right. Do you know you have to go Im- apply for a Russian visa in person? You're going to Russia? Yeah, uh, in uh, a little under a month. And you have to go like to an actual physical visa application center. In Russia? No, in <laughs> wherever you're applying from. Okay. Interesting. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I would do if I lived in not the capital where like they have a Russian embassy. Hmm. Good luck in Russia. Thanks. What are you going to Russia for? I'm giving a keynote at a conference. Oh, exciting. Yeah. I should probably figure out what I'm going to talk about. Uh, I'm sure you've point. already figured it out. I actually haven't. I've never done a <laughs> keynote, so. Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. We haven't done that in a while. No, we haven't. Yeah. Tom misses it. He doesn't know when to start the show. <laughs> What's been going on? Uh, just programming. Yeah. Nothing terribly interesting in open source land. How about you? Ditto. Programming. Do you Are we not going to talk about the thing? All right. So by the time you hear this episode, this will either be fixed or in the process of being fixed. I received late last night, like just as I was going to bed, I checked my email and I received an email from um, somebody on the Ruby Gems team. I'm going to look it up now because I'm thankful for to them for, for reporting it. It was... Sorry if I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Aditya Prakash, who works on rubygems.org. So the problem is that, I mean, it sounds bad, right? So the the issue is I could potentially leak a password reset token, which would allow somebody with access to that token to reset your password and gain access to your account until you until such time as you notice it and reset it yourself or something like that. And that sounds really bad, but the there are some extenuating circumstances here, and it has to do with the HTTP refer. So the HTTP referrer is a, is a header that gets sent anytime you like, if I, if I'm on my website and I click a link over to your website, you're going to get like referrer data in your log. So you know that like you came from my website and that way, and that way you can judge where your traffic comes from. That, that HTTP referrer doesn't actually get sent if you're going from an HTTPS site to an HTTP site. So for a long time, like sites that were secure and required some sort of login, did not really actually send referrer data to other general content type sites. Um, now that basically everything is transitioning to HTTPS, referrer is something you basically have to worry about all the time again. So the reason why this the reason why this is an issue is uh, when you request a password reset, we email you an HTML link, right, or an HTTP link, and in that link is an argument for the token, your password reset token. You click that link, and then you're presented with a form that says, "Give me your new password." And you enter your new password, and then your password gets reset. That token is expired at that point. So the exploit happens when if you click that link, right, and now you're on, you're on the website where you're supposed to be resetting your password, and you get distracted by some link over in the Chrome that's like an external link to, you know, seantheprogrammer.com. 
Right. And it also happens to be HTTP, HTTPS, so the referrer will be sent if I happen to click that. And I say, oh, you know what? I don't want to reset my password. I want to click on this link to seantheprogrammer.com. And Sean, because he's very nefarious, is sitting there watching his logs <laughs> and sees that you have clicked a link. And you now, because the referrer was sent and the token was part of the referrer, you've now leaked your token to Sean's logs and ultimately to Sean. And he can very quickly go to the website with that token, go to the referring URL, basically, and then reset your password and gain access to your account in that manner. So this only affects people who are from their password reset page linking to external sites. And the, the owner of that external site is nefarious. Right. And the user happens to click on that link and does so before resetting their password, right. which would expire the token. And the nefarious user happens to notice that this is in their logs and uses the password reset token before you actually get a chance to reset it yourself. So it's not so much like a exploit as it is a... If you're doing this very specific thing, you're probably giving some information to some people who probably aren't even looking at it. Correct. That said, it's something I want to fix. Oh, of course. I mean, definitely it needs to get fixed. It's just it's just one of these like, yeah, that sounds really bad. But on the other hand, I doubt it'll ever actually happen. Correct. But it should still be fixed. Correct. And I'm sure somebody's going to listen to this and be like, no, it'll ha like this happens. And I guess it depends on like how likely people are to click on like the links in your footer or something like I don't. I mean, even having links to external sites on Chrome that appears in the password reset page seems really rare to me. Yeah. I mean, I guess you might just re like reusing the footer where you have like a link to Twitter or sure. a link to Facebook or something like that. But um, like, again, of course, it's bad to be sending this the, to be leaking this at all. But it's like, OK, but you're so you're linking it to Twitter and, and Facebook. And so the, the fix that Aditya, sorry if I got that name wrong, the, the fix that they recommended is using a meta tag. And there's um, the meta tag is, you know, meta name equals refer, and you say content equals, and you say origin. And that basically means if that meta tag is present, then the browser will only send the refer data to links that are on the same origin. And, and does every browser support that? No, every browser does not support that. Opera Mini does not, which you may be able to be like, eh, I don't care. But when you're talking about security issues, you really kind of want yeah, you need everything. to care about everything. But also IE does not. Even IE 11. Edge does. IE 11 does not. Mm. So even if it did, even if it was supported by every browser, it's a little hard for us as an engine to handle that because we can't guarantee, like the suggested fix is to use content for head and then give that meta tag. I can't guarantee that your layout has a yield for head right. in the right place. Um, so that's not a great way for me to fix it for those two reasons. Ultimately, I think what we're going to end up doing is a little bit of what we said you shouldn't do on our last episode, which is on the get request to the edit page to where you're going to where you're going to you know input your new password using this token. We're going to rotate the token, <laughs> so it, it's a get request that will mutate state. I mean, I feel like password reset links and um, unsubscribe links. Yep. Are the two cases where it's fine to have a non-identifying get request? Right, they're because th they're things that have to. They're both of those things are things that, that have to be accessible via a link in your email. Right, like if email clients let you put arbitrary forms in 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 the email, right? You would totally just use a form to make it a post request, but we don't have the, the technology; just isn't there. So what I'll do instead is when we sh as we're preparing to show you the form, we will rotate the token. The form will have the new token in it. The URL will still have the old token. You would still leak that if you did that thing where you clicked off to some external site, but it won't matter because the token will already be expired at that point. The downside of this is like if you click the link and then forget 
and like close that tab and then go back to your email and click the link again, that token's now expired because it's essentially one-time use now. It's not a time-limited thing or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. just like you click it once and it self-destructs. I think that's a fair trade-off and we can get around that with some messaging by saying like this token is either expired or has been they'll probably just say the token's expired or something like that. You could probably even set it up. Like, it seems reasonable if anybody ever visits a password reset page with an expired token to immediately email them a new token. Yeah, perhaps. Like, so, so I, think, I think that'll be fine. I think, yeah. uh, and it'll be a, it should be a pretty low impact change. I think most people will not notice it except for that thing where sometimes people forget they have already clicked the password reset link, I guess. That's a little unfortunate. The other suggestion that people in the security channel in our ThoughtBot chat made was, and you actually made the suggestion too when I was telling you the story, was when they go to view the edit page, store the token in the session, and then redirect somewhere else that doesn't have the token in the URL. Right. Um, but that just requires more stuff, a place to redirect to. I could probably do it just by redirecting to edit again. <laughs> right, that's what I mean. You just redirect to the same URL, but with the with the thing you removed. With the token removed. So I, yeah. I don't know. I'll consider that as well. You could also just remove it with JavaScript. Yeah. <laughs> as we talked about, I want this problem to be solved, not just solved for people who happen to have JavaScript enabled or happen to be using a modern browser. Right. And removing it with JavaScript is not going to necessarily... I mean, it'll work, but... When I was thinking about this problem last night, and this is evidence for why you shouldn't think about this while you're tired, is like, I'm thinking about this at like midnight as I'm laying in bed, and I'm like, you know what, the only solution I can come up with this is to, (laughs) hearkening back to things again that we said you shouldn't do in our last episode, I was like, I think I need to introduce middleware that like (laughs) inspects the response and adds this meta tag. And then I was like, but the meta tag isn't even supported, like what am I going to do? And like within three seconds of talking to people here at ThoughtBop, we were like, why don't you just rotate the token? Why don't you just do the session thing? And I was like, uh, yeah, you're right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is why I shouldn't have wasted time thinking about it last night. This is something that came to mind, though, actually, just when you were telling me about this. Isn't every authentication library vulnerable to this? Because don't they basically all put the token in the URL? They may be doing things that we're talking about already. I haven't. I have it on my list of things to look into to see, like, what does device do? What do what do okay. all these other things do? I don't know. So I want to check that out, but I have not had a chance to look into that yet. So the other interesting thing is like, I'm not going to have time. Like I haven't fixed this yet. I wrote back to the person that reported it and said, like, I would like to do this type of fix. I'm not going like, I'm not gonna have my investment time on Friday. So I may get to it on Thursday night because I'll be sitting at home watching the Patriots game on TV. And I may just decide to um, work on clearance at that point, but I'm not sure I will. And then I have like events this weekend. So like, this may hang out for a little bit, so I'm hoping that maybe the person that reported it will like. I was like, "Here's here's what I'm thinking for a fix. Maybe they'll submit a PR and this will move it along." Well, for security stuff, you don't want a PR; you want a email patch. Yeah, that that and they did ask. That's why I got the email last night. It was like, "Can I submit a public PR?" And I think like we're talking about here, this like, one it would be probably be fine. Right. That's why I, I was like, ultimately, like if you want to do this, you can you can go ahead and open a PR, and I'm going to merge it right away. And once the PR comes in, like I can probably whatever I'm doing pretty quickly get that merged and release a branch. I just need to get to a computer. Yeah. I, I mean, and release a uh, release a new version of the gem. So I think that'll be okay. And then well, and your and your time frame sounds reasonable. Like usually with security stuff, the only people who care about the specific timeline in which it's fixed are security researchers who are planning on presenting a paper on it. Nobody's um, going to re- present a paper on this one. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's like usually the reasonable expectation is time frame for acknowledging that the report has been received. Right. 
Because that's the most important thing is that when you report it like, hey, has somebody seen this? Is it being worked on or do I need to take additional steps? And the main reason that there's usually really strict guidelines around that is is just because if you don't reply to that initial email pretty quickly, the person is going to like go to a public forum and you don't want that. And I was very cognizant of that last night when I got the email. I was like, I don't want to deal with this right now, but I've got to like I like. I mean, obviously, this is not something that I'm like, oh, my God, this can't leak. But I was like, I want to make right. sure I do this right. So I wrote back and said, like, basically, thanks for bringing this to my attention. Don't open a public PR until I have time to, like, look into the scope of it and, like, what's going on. And I'll get back to you tomorrow. And then this morning I got back to them and was like, here's how I think I'm going to fix this. I don't have time to do it right now. Hopefully I'll get to it very soon kind of thing yeah, that all seems fine. So hopefully that'll be OK. And then this morning I started talking to you and started looking into, like, how do I disclose this to people, right? Do I need to disclose it? What's the best way to disclose it? And like, I'm aware of CVEs, which is like common vulnerability something, right? Exposure. Exposure. I don't know. I believe is what the E stands for. Um, but basically, it's like this thing run by MITRE and a bunch of other organizations, but mostly MITRE, which is, uh, are they like a government weapons contractor or something like that? Yeah, um, I think they're part of NIST. So they they run this thing and you can go to them and say like, I have this vulnerability. I want to report it. I want you to give me an identifier for it. And it's like this common format. That, and, and the chief thing is like you get this identifier and you can use that identifier other places where everybody knows what you're talking about. Right. Um, and it would allow me to do things like put the CVE number into bundler audits, into the, the database, the RubySec database, which is what drives bundler audit, which is a thing you can run and should be running. And we'll link to it in the show notes that will let you know if you have any security vulnerabilities in the versions of the gems you're using. So this is the conversation you and I are having. Like, is this really a CVE? Like, this isn't, you're using this gem and so therefore you are vulnerable or even like some large percentage of people are vulnerable or some common use case is vulnerable. It's like, if you're using it in this very specific way under these very specific circumstances with this very specific attacker, right? then stop doing that. <laughs> well, it's also, you're not necessarily going to be able to fix it just by releasing a new version, right? Because you're just going to be changing generators and or the controller that they might be inheriting from. But if they've overridden the right thing. Right. This will not work if you have overridden the edit func The edit. I keep calling things functions now because of all my Elixir programming. If uh -huh. you've overridden the edit method on the passwords controller and didn't call super. Right. If you did that, then I can't fix it. So I guess that's something else I would put in the disclosure. Yeah. So the CVE is one thing I could do, which is might be overkill for this, but also is convenient for, like I said, like submitting to that RubySec DB, want, sure. they want to have a CVE identifier. And the other thing you suggested was just like doing an email to the RubySec announcements. Well, like, I mean, you'll do that. You should do that either way. Right. I'm going to do that either way. It's just either, gonna, is it going to have a CVE associated with it or not? And I think, I don't know, for the sake of like going through the process, why not have the CVE? Yeah. But that process, like I spent maybe 20 minutes, a half hour on it this morning to be like, can I just get this? Because they, they suggest that you actually file for the CVE before you fix the bug. Right. Um, so that you can, at the same time you release the patched versions, you can like say, okay, now show the CVE to everybody. And it's really complicated. <laughs> it's way more complicated. Like, so there's like a list of organizations that can give you these CVE ID numbers. Most of them are very big companies and it's unclear. Like you have to choose which organization to go to in order to do it. At one point, I got linked to this Google Form version, which was like for open source projects. But I think it was for things that were already made public and you want to get a CVE for. So I didn't end mm -hmm. up doing that one. There's a form on the MITRE website, which I think I am going to complete filling out. And I'll just email them. Oh, really? Maybe I'll yeah, just... Yeah, CV, CVE at MITRE. Okay, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> because 
I'm looking at him like, oh, I have to use the, like the right terminology for what this class of vulnerability is. And it's like, I guess it's just information disclosure. And then like, I have to write a description in this very, like they want it to be in this very like specific format so that it's searchable and easily findable, that kind of thing. So Right. And you have to apply the formulas to figure out the CVSS score and the impact. And- right. And I started going through that and I was like, oh, I don't know. Like it's a little bit of a weird bug because you also have to have control of this external system that is somehow right. legitimately linked to. Like I have no way to get that link on the page. I have to get you to get that link on the page. <laughs> I mean, hey, hey, if your site also has an XSS vulnerability, <laughs> if your site then you're also, really screwed. If your site also has an XSS vulnerability, then forget it. Like, there's nothing you can do about almost anything. So, uh, uh, yeah. No, I mean, it's going to have a really low CVSS score. It'd be, it, it'll be less than one. But, um, uh, yeah, so I started using, like, some site to calculate that, and it didn't. It, the, I went through, like, all of the different, like, weird characterizations of things you have to do, and then I think my ad blocker was screwing up the javascript on the page or something like that because i got no number out of it i was like all right great <laughs> so i'm gonna uh-huh. have to do that at some point so that this is an experience i think i'm kind of looking forward to the whole like now i'll know how to do it yeah and you know there's there's some part of me that's like i wish we didn't have this vulnerability but it's such a small thing and also like in reality that's probably not our worst vulnerability <laughs> like honestly there are probably more I, we do the best we can and it's been in use for a really long time so that helps but nobody's perfect, and we're going to have these issues uh, yeah. crop up from time and to time. Eventually, it might make sense to have a, a professional pen tester take a swing at it. Yeah. There's the Mozilla sponsorship thing where they sponsor open source projects and throw pen testers at them. Hmm. Okay, interesting. It does stand to somewhat to reason that clearance in some manner has been put through a pen test at one point or another by some company that's using it, and we haven't heard anything but it'd be cool to be able to say like, and this has been pen tested as of whenever right. by this organization um, and here are their credentials. and Verified secure. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll put that Norton check mark there and we'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can get, uh, what is it, VeriSign approved? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's a pretty simple process for most projects. Like Rails can get a little bit more complicated because we also have to coordinate with any OS distributions that include Rails to make sure that they update their uh, repositories on the same date that we disclose the vulnerability. Right. So there's the super secret private mailing list that we send out saying, hey, there's a vulnerability and it's going to be uh, reported on this date. Right. Um, Which I think we give three days advance notice minimum. Anyway, yeah, but mostly it's just have a CVE, list the affected versions, you know, have the patch both in a new release version and also just as a patch file in case for whatever reason people can't upgrade and then put a thread up on the mailing list. Patch file, I hadn't thought of that. And GPG sign everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then I've got, and then I'll like do the follow-up where I submit the thing to the RubySecDB, uh, maybe do a blog post on it, but maybe not. I'll probably explain all there is to explain in the CV itself, so maybe we'll just tweet it. And, yeah. And, you know, that'll be that. Like I said, it's probably not an issue for most people who are using clearance. Well, it's also like even if you are affected by it, it's like... Is anyone actually going, clicking a password reset link and then going, oh, but there's this other link I'm going to click on. <laughs> right. I, I suspect, I haven't asked, but I suspect, let me see if it says in the email. No, I, I suspect it was kind of a thing like I bet somebody was looking at Ruby gems and being like, are there security vulnerabilities? And they found this, right? right. Rather than like, oh, we know, like, you know what I mean? 
I don't think it's something that's been encountered in the real world, but maybe, I mean, who knows, maybe. I'm actually curious now what external links RubyGems has on their password reset Yeah, I'm page. actually going through the password reset right now for RubyGems. Uh, oh, they have links to all of the sponsors. Ah. Maybe somebody did notice. Like, maybe somebody was like, hey, I saw this link come in. <laughs> as, they were, as they were going through the referrer headers and all of their logs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting because, like, I'm very thankful that they reported this issue. But then by the fact of them reporting this issue, I'm able to have the discussion with them and be like, actually, that's not a fix, right? Because, like, it's only a partial fix for browsers that support this. Like, a better fix is either kill the footer on the password reset page or do this thing that I'm talking about. Yeah. That, that kind of thing. Personally, I think it'd be great if we just didn't include query strings and refer headers. Yeah. Just, like, as, as a general policy. Yeah. Although, I mean, that breaks, like, old PHP sites, but eh. For a while, when I was using Mozilla like a year ago or so, or Mozilla, when I was using Firefox a year or so ago, I went into their like config settings and configured it so that if I was using an HTTPS site at all, I sent no refer ever, even to another HTTPS site. And that's a thing that like, it makes sense, but it also just completely kills. It breaks uh, the internet. <laughs> yeah, because like Google.com is HTTPS now. Right. Most things worked, but then like weird things like I'd be watching a video on a site and it would tell me that it couldn't play because I was not playing it from a supported domain because it's looking for the refer and I'm not sending the refer. That, okay, people who use the refer header for th anything other than analytics is, is doing it wrong. But that's, what, that's, where, that's where the internet breaks. <laughs> I know, but people shouldn't do that. Just use the, use the internet properly, people. Come on. <laughs> But so like in this in these cases, it's, it's, you know, people who are using third party video hosting services and, and say that, like, you can only play this video if you're on my website. Sure. And the only way for them to really do that is to check the refer, which is not really doing it because it can just be faked. Or use. Yeah. I mean, or use CSP, which, again, is also yeah. just relying on the browser actually enforcing that. Right. It's funny how many how many things we rely on just like and the browser won't break this rule. <laughs> right. Basically everything down to like same origin, right? Right. And there have been bugs in that before, but you know, I don't know. It's like you could totally just, well, I mean, of course this requires giving your uh, nefarious browser to people, but you could totally just have a client that doesn't follow the same origin policies or CSP stuff or any, right, but the trick any is, of the modern best or, or follow any meta tags. The trick is getting people to use that client <laughs> right? <laughs> other than you, right? I can make myself very vulnerable. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, what I'll be dealing with. Hopefully I'll have that fixed and everything all done by the time uh, this episode goes out. If not, you'll get to see me do it live like late a few days after this episode goes out. Well, <laughs> I'll live stream myself on Twitch filling out the CVE form. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> Twitch plays security. I did watch Gary Bernhardt explain the Lambda Calculus live on oh, Twitch. Oh, how was that? It was good. If my professor in whatever class, I forget what it was called. It wasn't called the Lambda Calculus, but whatever class it was that taught the Lambda Calculus to me in college, if they had started with just like what he did in the half hour, I would, be, I would have been, first of all, way more interested in why I was learning this. And then second of all, like on a much better footing to learn whatever else he was going to tell me. Because otherwise it was like, why does this guy keep talking about the Lambda calculus? Like what <laughs> the hell is he talking about? I mean, it didn't help that I only went to like a third of the class. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, he's good at explaining stuff like that, though. But yeah, it was good. It was interesting and kind of crazy. And it was my first experience, like, really watching a long Twitch stream. So it was fun to watch the chat go by. Yeah. So Yeah, he, he's streaming right now. I tuned in briefly right before we started and just noted that he can get way more viewers than I can. And <laughs> felt slightly sad. So Gary Bernhardt, if you're not familiar, runs Destroy All Software, which is a screencast series that ran a few years ago and is now coming back or came back a little while ago. It's actually a really fantastic screencast series. And I think all the old episodes basically still hold up because it wasn't like... Unlike Railscast, which was great too, like Railscast filled a need as well. It wasn't like, here's this cool gem you can use to do this task. It was like teaching skills that have a longer shelf life than that. Right. Yeah. I I still recommend Destroy All Software to newer or even intermediate developers or even advanced developers. Anybody, I still recommend it to, but like Railscasts nowadays, you wouldn't recommend anybody go back and and watch them because they're not. Most of them are out of date. Yeah. But they were fantastic at the time. Like at the time, it was so helpful to me. And I was a paying, you know, pro subscriber back in the day, just like I was a paying subscriber to destroy all software. And I was sad when that one went away. But yeah, so he's going to stream every day this week. And then I think he's trying to figure out like, how does streaming fit in with destroy all software? Will he be like screwing up his income at destroy all software by doing the streaming? Like, I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, You should check out his stuff. Like today he's streaming, I think, on how to build a web framework. But he's also very, very simple one. He's also re-implementing HTTP. No, <laughs> I think that's what he said, didn't he? Uh, like uh, uh, he's just using the Python HTTP stuff. Okay, all right. So yeah, so he's doing that. Yesterday it was like building a compiler, and the day before that was the Lambda calculus one. I like the Lambda calculus type stuff more, so I'm not. Gonna, I like when I was like building a compiler, meh. Building a web framework, I was like, eh. But if you're into that stuff, it's interesting. It was cool to have on. The Lambda Calculus one I intended to have on just in the background while I did something, and I just sat there and watched it because <laughs> it was yeah. interesting to me. It's a sign of a good stream. It made me want to be like, I should stream. Like, clearly, I'm not going to have the content that Gary has, but like, it's interesting just to watch other people do their work. And you've been doing this. Like, Have you been keeping up with your streaming? I burnt out on it, so I haven't done it in a month or two, but I'm going to start back up soon. Yeah, it's just interesting to watch how other people work. Not even necessarily mm-hmm. what they're working on, but like, what's your workflow like? Yeah. And like, even if I only got like five people to watch me do something, maybe that would be valuable to them, but I don't know. So I might try that someday when I'm working on some open source project or something. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's wrap up then, I guess. Cool. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 81. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes or Google Play are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this episode or any others, you can tweet us at underscore bike shed, email us at host at bike shed.fm or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to the bike shed and we'll see you next time. Did we give them, did we give Tom anything useful to use for like, okay, and now we're done. Um, <laughs> Other than our talk of like, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to talk about. I mean, I feel like he knows to cut that part out. Right. But I'm just trying to think of like the transition from like, Twitch streaming, the end of the show. I don't know. That seems fine. And now we're done, people. There. He can use that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. He'll figure it out. He's a smart guy. He's a good editor.